What is up, everybody? I'm Peanut, and I'm back here on this 9th of January, 2016, and you are listening to the Place Your Name Here podcast. The email for the show is placeyournamehere_podcast at gmail.com. So if you got any comments, you can send it there. My Twitter is at DryPeanut, D-R-I-V-E-P-N-U-T, at DryPeanut. There's many ways to listen to the show. You can find the show on the Stitcher app, on iTunes, or Podbean. Yes, you did just hear that. You heard it right. <laughs> oh man, that's the way to um kick the new year off, ain't it? After Jefferson County, after Jefferson Circuit Court Judge Olu Stevens revoked Adam Stately's bond on drug charges Monday, Saturday shouted out a party message that deputies took him to into into, into custody. Punk-ass nigger, sadly, could be heard saying from a hallway just outside the courtroom, according to a video of the hearing. That ended up costing him an additional 60 days in jail as Stevens filed Saturday in contempt contempt of court and rebuked him him for using the racial slur. Uh, you want the bond return to you. I've signed this order here. Once you get it, and we'll uh, take it up. Okay. Once you get it. Thanks. Thank you, Your Honor. starts. Is there something that you wish to say to me? No, it's my brother. Oh, was that to your brother? Because yes, I heard you say racial epithet. No, no, no. I didn't mean it like that. Oh, you didn't mean it like no. that? No. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to hold you in contempt of court for having said that. And you don't speak those words in here. Yes, and sir. that word particularly, yes, you sir. don't use that word. I'm going to give you 60 days for having used that word. Hold you in contempt right now for having done it in this courtroom. It's disrespectful. Don't ever do it again. Thank you, Sheriff. This is, uh, thank you, Ms. Allen. Yeah. you'll note that. This is the uh, call of the civil docket. Saturday's attorney who was present during the bond hearing had already left the courtroom. Saturday told Stevens he was talking to his brother, not the judge. No, 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 I didn't mean it like that, Saturday said, according to the video. Oh, you didn't mean it like that, the judge responded tearily, telling Saturday he was holding him in contempt of court. You don't speak those words in here, and the word particularly, and that word particularly, you don't use that word. I'm going to give you 60 days for having used that word. I'm going to hold you in contempt right now for having used it in this courtroom. It's disrespectful. Don't ever do it again.
believe it or not, this does happen a lot. People yelling out stuff to the judge and people yelling out racial slurs if the judge is black. I've seen it plenty of times in the courtroom. Um, I got a quick story. I used to work with this guy. Um, he was from Nashville, Tennessee. And he used to tell me that when he went to court up there, um, it was this running joke on how when white people get off, they'll look at the black guy next to him and say, hey, I'm glad I'm not black. And they'll walk, walk off. Well, he was in court one day and the white guy had got off again and he looked at him and told him that I'm glad I'm not a monkey ass nigga. And the judge looked at him and just shook his head and didn't do nothing about it. Yeah, picture that right there. If you ask me, I think he should have got more than 60 days for saying that in the courtroom, but I think when you have contempt of court, I think the max is something around 60 days, so he probably just gave him the max straight up, you know. He didn't want to bullshit around him. Ben Carson asked fifth graders who's the worst student. Or basically he asked fifth graders who is the dumbest student. At least half a dozen school children pointed to one of their classmates after Ben Carson asked them to pick up, pick out the worst student in class. According to the Des Moines Register reporter, speaking to a large crowd at an Iowa elementary school on Tuesday, the Republican presidential hopeful said the fifth grade class at Isaac Newton Christian School, who's the worst student? Before he could just before he could utter just kidding, several other students poured to one boy standing in the audience. Carson later said he often felt like the dumbest kid in class growing up before turning his life around and becoming a world renowned renowned neurosurgeon. It's a line he often used in campaign speeches to highlight his inspirational personal story. The, su the subject of his book, Gifted Hands, he met with the student backstage after the rally and encouraged him to become a neurosurgeon. The two-year-old later said that he wasn't embarrassed by the incident. No, he said when reporters asked him if, he is feeling, if his feelings were hurt. Fifth grade student. I was a horrible student. Anybody here in fifth grade? Oh, okay. Who's the worst student? Now, nah, don't have to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, if you had asked that question in my classroom, there would have been no doubt about who it was. I remember once we were having a big argument. Uh, what I'm saying, right? About who's the dumbest kid in the school. Everybody agreed with me. But then somebody tried to spin the argument to who was the dumbest person in the world. And I said, wait a minute, there are billions of people in the world. They said, yep, and you're the dumbest one. So, <laughs> you know, I was not happy that day.
Yeah, he's full of shit. He tried to cover it up real fast. I think people tend to forget that they were kids. So if you're going to ask a kid that or try to be funny with it as a kid, a group of kids that, you know they're going to try to point out who they think is or who they suggest is the dumbest person in the class. I think people take kids for granted a lot of times, forgetting how they think and forgetting how they should think at that age, especially at 10 years old. Of course they're going to point out that person. When questioned by the register, Carson said he expected a different outcome when he shouted out the fifth graders. Shout out to the fifth graders. I figure people would be pointing around to all different people who they didn't like, he told the register. When asked how he felt, Seth said, I was laughing, and that he would vote for Carson if he could. A Carson volunteer immediately found the student in the audience to give him a pat on the back. And a copy of Carson's book, You Have a Brain. Campaign staff also arranged a quick personal meeting for Seth with Carson backstage before leaving Cedar Rapids. You're going to be a neurosurgeon, okay? Carson told Seth. Seth teachers and others in the crowd who knew him said he's not the worst student in his class. But actually it's well liked and a class jokesters. His mother said she assumed that's why he was class that's why his classmates pointed him out. Personally, I know he's not the worst, said Blaffer, who worked as a goddess secretary at public middle school nearby. She said the family has watched the Get the Hands movie about Carson's life story and Carson has spoke at their church. We're here where her husband is a pastor. She added she She's an undecided vote, and the interaction would not prevent from supporting Carson. The Cedar Rapid event was part of three public campaign stops Carson made in Iowa on Thursday. Excuse me. On Thursday. Yeah, you figured they just pointed him out because he was a class clown. No kid's going to get foolishness mixed up with not being smart or being dumb. Muslim woman ejected from Trump rally. A Muslim woman was escorted out of a Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump's rally in South Carolina on Friday after she stood up in silent protest. Rose Hammett, a 56-year-old flight attendant, was sitting in the stands behind Trump. According to CNN, when the billionaire suggested Syrian refugees fleeing a civil war were affiliated with the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Hammett, who was wearing a hijab, did not say anything while Trump spoke, according to CNN. However, Trump supporters called attention to her and many Rosenbluth. Marty Rosenbluth, the man sitting next to, her, next to her who stood up. The two were wearing stars resembling those worn by Jews during the Holocaust. Security escorted the two out as Trump supporters booed and yelled, get out. Yeah. 
I mean, that's typical. Uh, this this guy right here, I don't see how in the hell. Well, you know what? People, there's a lot of people out there just like him. And he's feeding off that hate. I mean, it, it's like a water balloon. You just keep on putting water in it, and it just keep on getting bigger, I guess. The ugliness really came out fast, and that's really scary, she told CNN after she was escorted out of the venue. Hammett added that several people around her held her hand and said sorry as she was forced to leave. There is a hatred against us that is unbelievable, Trump said after Hammett was ejected. It's their hatred, not our hatred. How is that even possible? I mean, for him to say something like that, when he's basically hate-mongering, just like just feeding people what they want to hear so they can just get all riled up and not like a certain group of people. This guy just is so incredible and it's amazing how he might end up winning the Republican nomination. And all that dude's going to let you know is how half of the country feel about us and the rest of the world. Hmm. I figured that most Trump supporters probably never met a Muslim, so I figured that I'd give them the opportunity to meet one. She said, I really don't plan on saying anything. I don't want to be disrespectful, but if he says something that I feel needs answering, I might. We'll see what strikes me. People don't have a chance to see anything other than Muslims they see on TV. She added, talking about the footage of terrorists. Man. You know, all I can say is wow to this. And the guy who's coming right behind him, Ted Cruz, he's no better. You know, uh, all he do is basically don't put it out there like Donald Trump do. And, I mean, the whole, all the Republican nominees, I don't see how people even vote for them, but I guess that if that's the way you feel about something, then that's where you're going to lead toward going at. And Ben Carson... I mean, if you ain't black like him towards black people, or how I'm trying to say this, towards black people, if you ain't his type of black, then he don't like you. I mean, that whole group is a mess over there. But my point is, looking at these people right here, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Ben Carson, and seeing the people around you that follow the, follow these people, just let you know how they really do feel about us, how they really do feel about other people too. There's two stories that I've been hearing a lot about lately. Um, the Oregon standoff. And I'm making a murder um, documentary that's on Netflix. I tried to watch that making a murder doc documentary. I mean, I just my attention span just not that long. To, I mean, it, I mean honestly, it's just boring. So I got through like the first episode of it, and I I, I could binge watch a lot of stuff, but I just couldn't do that. I could not binge watch that right there. So, 
I'm not going to talk about that because I don't know too much about it. All I know is that the guy got framed or he had get framed. They messed the first trial up so bad that they had to let him go 18 years later. And that gave everybody reasoning to think that he got framed on this. Like I said, I don't know too much about the uh, the case and about the documentary, so I'm just going to leave, leave that alone. So I'm going to go to this Oregon standoff. Man, I got a lot of catching up to do with this. I've been off about a month. So there's a lot of articles I got on this that I've been collecting. Um, as the armed occupation of U.S. federal buildings in rural Oregon drags on, some blame the U.S. government for failing to arrest anti-government lawbreakers in western United States after the last big standoff in 2014. Some former federal officials and lawmakers say they believe anti-government lawbreakers have been emboldened by the Justice Department failure to prosecute rancher Cliven Bundy whose 2014 standoff with the government over Nevada grazing rights ended with federal agents backing down in the face of about a thousand armed militiamen. The Federal Bureau of Investigation has been building a case against participants in that dispute, according to federal and local officials, but prosecutors have yet to bring charges and no arrests of Bundy and his family or others have been made. Bundy's son, Amon and Ryan Bunny are now leading a small group of armed protesters in rural Oregon who seized a federal wildlife center on Saturday in an attempt to win greater local, local control over federal land. If people feel like there's no repercussions for their actions, especially if they're actually acting illegally, it does embolden them, said Bob Abbey, who led the U.S. Bureau of Land Management from 2009 to 2012. Two years should be sufficient time for bringing people Bringing people to justice. Cliven Bundy, Bundy's long-running dispute with the BLM over grazing fees turned into a rallying point for the far right in 2014 when hundreds of heavily armed paramilitary activists flocked into his Nevada ranch to prevent federal agents from seizing his cattle. Bundy's son were also photographed participating in the dispute. You know, I don't understand how all uh, how they could get away with all that I don't understand how that works like I know somewhere I mean I don't know for sure I heard I don't know the constitution I'd be lying to you to say oh yeah I know up and down but I think somewhere in the in the constitution it says something about the right to form a militia I don't know how that works but I mean not doesn't say in the Constitution that you can break the laws. And to me, that's what these people right here are doing, breaking the laws. So the government have every right to go in, go get them, you know. So basically, I mean, y'all, I think y'all pretty much know what's going on with this situation. A, a, a bunch of guys, well, not even a bunch of guys, a few guys went to a wildlife federal building in, um, in Oregon took control over it and now they're not coming out basically um, long story to short they have a beef with the government about something about they taking over lands 
You know, I, I don't read different stuff over that the government owned ninety percent of the land, and I read different stuff on about it that that's not true. Uh, I like I said, I don't know what's going on with that uh, or how the laws work with that, but I do know that they are breaking the law. Oregon tribe armed group desecrating their land, Burns, Oregon. Um, the leader of an American Indian tribe that regards an Oregon nat natural preserve as sacred issue, they rebuked Wednesday to the armed men who are occupying the property saying they are not welcome at the Snowy Bird Sanctuary, sanctuary and must leave. The Burns Paiute pay, 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 pay tribe was the latest group to speak out against the men who have taken several buildings at the preserve to protest policies governing the use of the federal land in the West. The protesters, the protesters have no right to this land. It belongs to the native people who live here. Tribal leader Charlotte Rodriguez said she spoke at a news conference at the Tribes Cultural Center about a half hour drive from the Mahir National Wildlife Refugee, which is being occupied by some 20 men led by Amon Bundy whose father, Cliven, was at the center of a standoff in Nevada with federal officials in 2014 over the use of public lands. Hmm. Uh, Rodrigue said she had to laugh at the demand because she knew Bunny was not, t t was not talking about giving the land to the tribe. The 13,700-acre Burns Pi Paiute Reservation is north of the remote town of Burns in Oregon, Sagebrush County. The reservation is separate from the wildlife refugee, but tribal members consider it part of the ancestral land. As with other tribes, tribes the Burns Paiutes linked to the land is marked by a history of conflict with the white settlers and the U.S. government. In the late 1800s, they were forced off a smaller reservation created by an 1872 treaty that was never ratified. Some later returned and purchased property in the Burns area where about 200 tribal members now live. Bunny's group sees building Saturday at the Natural Preserve in Eastern Oregon's high desert country. Authorities have made no attempt to remove them. At a community meeting attended by hundreds of people in Burns on Wednesday evening, cheers erupted when Harney County Sheriff David Ward said it was time for the group at the refugee to pick up and go home. We can, we can work through it like adults peacefully with the United Front, Ward said. The standoff in rural Oregon is a continuation of a long-time running dispute over federal policies covering the use of public lands, including grazing. The federal government controls about half of all the lands in the West, for example. It owns 53% of Oregon, 85% of Nevada, and 66% of Utah, according to the Congressional Research Service. The Bundy family is among many people in the West who contend local officials could do better job managing public lands in the federal government. It is our goal to get the logger back to logging, the rancher back to rancher, Amon Bunny said Tuesday. The argument is rejected by those who say the U.S. government is better among those groups. Oh, something just cut off. Well, yeah, how many citizens of Hardy County do we have in here? Now I'm gonna ask for the same show of hands of how many people wanna work this out peacefully and would like these folks to go home. Yes. 
God bless you, Harney County. I'm asking, as a sheriff of Harney County, that the people that are occupying our wildlife refuge go home. I don't believe that just a handful of people have the right to come in from outside of our area and tell us that we don't know how to live our lives. Go ask them. Say, go home. And these people down here at the refuge, I just came from there and I talked to them and they ain't hurting a damn thing down there. But, but let it. But, let, but they're made, they're, they brought us all together. They're waking people up. Um, the Burns Paiute, I think that's Paiute. I'm going to say Paiute because I'm having a hard time pronouncing that. The Burns Paiute tribe has guaranteed access to the refugee for activities that are important for their culture including gathering a plant used for making the traditional baskets and seeds that are used for making bread. The tribe also hunts and fishes there. Rodrigue said the armed occupiers are, dis are desecrating one of our sacred sites with their presence at the refugee. Jarvis Kennedy, a tribe council member, said, we don't need these guys here. They need to go home and get out here. Get out of here. Um, Randy Early, a Bureau of Land Management spokesman, said bunnies call for controlling land to be transferred made no sense so this is what it's coming down to um the the tribe any tribe that they don't want them there the people in that county don't want them there you just heard the sheriff he don't want it there the only guy i mean that guy who spoke at the end his name is merlin hup hop hup he's the only one who like is sympathetic to their cause You know, nobody wants them there. They're, to me, they really, they really are breaking the law. But to go in and go in with gun blasting to get them out, it is, it is a bad call. So that's why they holding off. But they do need, to, they need to find some way to get these people out of there. The Army Bunny compares Oregon standoff to Rosa Parks, and everyone is livid. On Wednesday, Armin Bunny posted a tweet about the ongoing anti-government standoff led by a group of armed ranchers in Oregon, and Bunny's statement drawn fire from all who read it. Hmm. We are doing the same thing Rosa Parks did, Bunny wrote. And you know what? To use that statement, because they all about people having rights and state rights and all these rights that they screaming about. But when all the stuff happens, with black folks, you don't see these militia men nowhere to be found. You don't see the freedom fight. Nobody no nowhere to be found. No. We are doing the same thing that Rosa Parks did, Bunny Road. We are standing up against bad laws which dehumanize us and destroy our freedom. The group leader's name has swept through the news this week after being identified as a member of an anti-government group that on Saturday stormed a federal building in Oregon. After hundreds marched through the city of Burns, Oregon, and number of supporters were, supporters took over the Mahir National Wildlife Refugee Anti-Government Protest over land disputes. Mm, scroll down, scroll down. 
Okay, here come the tweets. We are doing the same thing as Rosa Parks did. We are standing up against bad laws which dehumanize us and destroy our freedom. You got it twisted. You are nothing like Rosa Parks on MLK. Neither use guns or have racist companions. A dude tweeted at him. <laughs> Another another tweeter said, "You are you are you are terrorists. You terrorists are no Rosa Parks, and it's an insult to an insult to her to compare yourself to her. It is kind of a so. I mean, I can see where he's coming from, but that he's standing up. I mean, he's he, he he's occupying the space and he's not moving. That's the only that's as far as you could go with it being close to Rosa Parks, you know, but." Besides that, occupying the space and not moving is you. You can't really you after that you can't compare it. You know, like I'm. I'm pretty sure half of these guys, or not most of them, don't even like Rosa Parks. Don't even like black people. Probably when Rosa Parks did what she did, they had something to say about it. Another tweet. Nice try. Rosa Parks didn't hijack a bus with an assault rifle because she didn't want to pay the bus fare. Never in my life have I meant this more. You you have got to be shitting me. Rosa Parks did not have a gun. Also, your white privilege is showing. You are nothing more than an armed bully who's taking what he wants by force, un-American. Rosa Parks was armed with courage, and when she was arrested, she complied with law enforcement. You, sir, I know Rosa Parks. You do realize that Rosa Parks was arrested for not for not complying, don't you? She surrendered peacefully. And see, all these people, they make a good points. Rosa Parks was fighting lynching, murder, segregation, racism, separate but unequal. You had nothing to in common with us. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 went really reaching real hard on that one. Look, everybody got a right to peaceful protest. But it's nothing peaceful about bringing AR15s and M16s into a a federal building and occupying it. Fox pundit, Oregon militias are not thugs like black protesters because they fight government gone wild. Yeah. Leave it to Fox to um, do this one right here. Conservative Fox News contributor Dini Borelli on Monday said that armed militiamen were forced to take over a federal building in Oregon because the government had gone wild. Fox News host Martha McCullen noted that the media has been criticized for giving the anti-government militia more favorable, nothing like the left-wing media using an opportunity to, rely, to, really, to really cloud the instance that gone on in Oregon. Borelli complained, what people need to understand what's, what's going on in Oregon is, uh, what's, going on, what's going on in Oregon, it is really... And overgrowth of government. Government gone wild is outreach of government. I don't understand why people don't realize that these people are breaking the law. 
You have the individuals who are trying to save their property, save their ranch because the overrun of government is not doing that. She continued, government owns a substantial amount of property in the West, and these individuals are trying to save their property. You know, and that's where it hits too. If it wasn't the property, it'd be something else. These people right here just don't like the government. I mean, when it comes down to it, and now that Barack Obama's president, they really don't like the government. So they can sit there here and try to say that, oh, it's, um, they're trying to say they land. But if it wasn't that, it'd be something else. You know, it could, it'd be something simple as, oh, why don't we use enough pennies in, uh, for money? It, it could be something simple as that. They'll find something to hate the government for. Cause that's, it takes a special type of person to join a militia. I mean, a, a special type of person. And that person right now, when you feel the need to join a militia, the, the a, a big reason is because you don't like the government. And because you want to work with the government. And because that, I mean, it don't, it don't, it's not even that to the point that you don't, you don't trust the government because a lot of people don't trust the government. It's that you just don't like the government. And if it was up to you, you would overthrow the government. In fact, the incident in Oregon was sparked after Dwight Hammond and his son Stephen were given five year sentences for setting two fires on federal lands that they were leasing. Although arson carries a five year sentence, the Hammonds and their supporters had insisted that the convictions were unconstitutional. Well, they call themselves patriots, while others are starting to compare them to terrorists. So why would that be? An armed militia taking over a government building at an Oregon wildlife refuge. They're being helped by these ranchers, the Bundys, who have faced off against the government before. Police are keeping their distance for now. But the situation is sparking debate online over whether race is the reason for that. Many of the militiamen are white. The Washington Post writing this, quote, it is hard to imagine that none of the words mentioned above would be avoided if a group of armed black Americans took possession of a federal or state courthouse to protest the police. What do you think? Denise Borelli, chief political correspondent for the Conservative Review and a Fox News contributor. And Jessica Ehrlich is a former Democratic congressional candidate and an attorney. Welcome uh, to you both. Good morning. Um, a lot of issues here and some interesting questions raised in a couple of editorials that say that that news organizations have been so careful in terms of how they present these individuals. Um, and they say that they were not that careful when it came to other. Um, it's, a, it's, 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 it's three ladies up here is a is one black lady and two white ladies. I don't know which one they don't point out which one is the uh, conservative and which one is the liberal. But I, 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 I looked at this story earlier and both of them were coming off pretty conservative to me. Or maybe I was reading into it wrong. Cases like Dylan Roof, for example, um, who clearly had racist intentions uh, when he crazily killed people in a Charleston church. They also point to Syed Farouk and Tashfeen Malik and that they were quickly labeled uh, to be Islamic terrorists in the course of their killings. And Dino, and they claim that we are, some are handling uh, these folks with kid gloves. Deneen, what do you think? 
Well, nothing like the left-wing media using an opportunity to really cloud the, uh, insta the instance that's going on in Oregon to confuse people, and that's what the left-wing media does. Each instance that is referenced in the article that you mentioned are individual circumstances. And what people need to understand what's going on in Oregon, it is really an, out an overgrowth of government. Government gone wild is outreach of government. You so Deneen is a black lady, so I'm get I'm guessing she's a conservative. Well, it, like I said, it's hard to tell, but the way she's talking, I'm guessing she's a conservative. Cause um, you know that that conservative speak, they they their favorite thing to throw out there is overreach of the government, too much government, all this government, you know. So have these individuals who are trying to save their property, save their their uh, their ranch because uh, the overrun of government is not doing that. Government owns a substantial amount of property in the West and these individuals were trying to save their property. Jessica, what do you think? So I, I st I'm still not getting how they're trying to save their property when they don't own the property. I wish somebody could explain that to me, cause for, far as I could gather, that the property is federal. It's federal property. If it ain't federal, then it belongs to the state. But it don't, it doesn't belong to them. I can't go. I mean, that weedy people stuff. That only could work work so far. Like I can't go on to the. Okay, public property. Let's say I want to go to the beach after sunset. I can't do it because the property don't belong. It belongs to the state or the city or the federal government, but it doesn't belong to me. When they, when they, we pay to maintain, we pay taxes to maintain it, but I just can't go there when I want to go there because it's rules and it's regulations for me to do that. I got to go there at a certain time. I can't go there at nighttime or when the sun is set. And that's, I mean, that's basically what they say, like, oh, it belongs to us, the people, so we should be, so we could do what we want to do. No, nah, it don't work like that. Because if it worked like that, then people would run amok with it. You know, that's just like saying that you could go and go to the forest that belongs to the state and chop down a tree, chop down trees and sell the trees. You can't do that. They got rules there for a reason. And it's childish for them not to understand that. Well, I, you know, I disagree that this is sort of a something that's being pushed by, you know, the left wing media, obviously. I mean, I think this is a situation. I don't see that there are racist overtones here. Um, there are very different similar situations. OK, yeah, I had it right. The, the black lady, she's the conservative side and the uh, white lady, she's the... Uh, the uh, liberal side of this argument. I was kind of thrown off, though. Sorry about that.
I think, as Deneen said, that is accurate. However, this is never a situation that you want to have in the United States where we have the rule of law, where you have armed people who have taken over a federal building. Now, whether it's actually defined as terrorism will be up to not only the FBI and the Attorney General, but whether, you know, in terms of what they'll be charged, certainly the mayor in this area feels that there is political motivation and that the political motivation is that they're armed and that they want to overthrow the local government. So this is not a situation that's similar to, you know, ones where we... And, and that's what I was saying. Militiamen and people who join militias, they, their main purpose is to disagree with the government and overthrow the government. That's what they. That's that's what their main purpose is. They, that's what they build up for. That's what they train for. It's it's it's, it's no it's no need for. I mean, the militia. For, for far as I can remember, for sometime around the the the, the, the Revolutionary War, was the was formed to fight the English, and then after that we won, and. They put it somewhere in the constitution, constitution that a state has a right to form a form a militia. It's it, it, it's to keep the government uh, something to keep the government in check. If they it did it, it was it was like some type of dictatorship. There's no dictatorship here going on. It's nothing like that going on. It's people who don't like the rules. When the election happened, your side lost. Now you're mad. Now you want to overthrow it. No, what you do is wait till the next election come up, vote for your person, and hope they win. This country runs by majority rules. If the majority feel like this, then you sit, you shut up for four years and you deal with it. Or you go and vote for the senator that you like and hope that he wins. We saw with what happened in San Bernardino or other situations, they are all unique. I don't think this has anything to do with, you know, a race situation. It's people who are taking matters into their own hands. In a now, this is why I disagree with her. Yeah, it does. It got a lot to do with it because, and I'm going to explain it to you a little bit later on. Uh, it Because if, 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 if I went up in there with... AK 47s talking about I'm locking down this federal building, which I would never do because I know it's going to happen. It'll be the whole totally different story. I mean, the people at Ferguson, they, they had a peaceful protest and they got fucked with real hard. You know? So it, it, it does have something to do with race. They might not, well, how they cannot see that race? I don't know. It, that, 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 that's, that's a bullshit statement of me. Sorry. Way that is not acceptable in the United States of America. Yeah. Uh, you know, they raise a question, Deneen, of, you know, the racial tensions that we've seen in Missouri and the fact that in those situations when people are rising up in, their, in that case against the police uh, and against that government institution, that they are always referred to as being a group of black people, a group of sometimes thugs, those kind of names are used. And they say, you know, in this case, why, is, why aren't people talking about the fact that this is a group of white militiamen? Why is that distinction not made? 
Well, listen, what happened in Missouri is, is really outrageous because you had individuals who were very destructive. They destroyed property. They destroyed their communities. We're looking at Oregon right now. These individuals. Now, let me scratch this again. This is the black lady conservative saying this. This is what killed me about black conservatives. Like I said earlier about Ben Carson, if you're not their type of black, they don't like you, don't want nothing to do with you. And I, I see this a lot, especially on Fox. They always get their token black person who basically hate black people and and, 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 and they put them on the show. And it, to me, they look stupid. They look very stupid. Individuals are being peaceful. Uh, they're uh, outraged about the overgrowth of government. Is government going wild? And I tell you, it, it, we don't want to see this happen across the country, but this is an example of something that can happen because of the overgrowth of government and Americans are tired. Sorry, how do you even become a conservative black person? I mean, do you got to hate your people so much that that you just, you just turn against them so hard? All is that, that, that like, that's like the definition of true self hate, and a person can sit there and tell me, "Oh, uh, black black conservatives they don't they don't they don't hate black people." It, that's crazy, man. It, it got to be something, man, because they just sit there and they dog us and they dog us and they dog us, and um, it's it's, it's not the, it's not the system that's the problem. It's us that's the problem. We should be able to to step above it and rise above it. Yeah, whatever. Tired of government intrusion in their everyday lives, and so these individuals right now are peaceful. They want to uh, rein in government going wild. Why is it that a federal government owns 47% of Western states in our country? In Oregon alone, the federal government. The reason why the government owns 47% because nobody don't want to buy that shit. Sorry, I mean. <laughs> I've been in Nevada. Ain't nothing but desert out there. All these lands that these people are talking about, nobody don't want. Not, but but when when the when the government have it, and then when you can't go in the land and do what you want to do with it, then oh, why you own it? Nah, you ain't want it in the first. You ain't want it in the first place. The government, what the government could do? I mean, they they could. It was times in this country that the government put up auctions to sell federal land to raise money for the country, and nobody was buying it then. Nobody was buying it then. So that that's crazy talk when they say, oh, the government owns 47% 47% of the land because they want to own it. No, nobody wanted it. It's been plenty of times that the government have tried to get rid of land, sell land. Nobody ain't come for it. So that, that excuse that they say and that, and that reasoning that they think that, that's lame. Owns 53% of the property. So you, it's really outrageous how government is creeping into our everyday lives, no matter what it is you're doing, and people just want to be left yeah. alone. Uh, Jessica, they were revolting against that. You know, there was an issue with um, trying to sort of burn down some of the brush. They say that that fire went over onto federal land, um, and that the sentence that was given to the person who they believe is responsible was too short. And then they changed the sentence and made it longer. Um, as an attorney, how is that even possible? 
Well, because there are federal sentencing laws and guidelines, which we've talked about even on this show, that are you know people disagree with, that we're trying to change, that the president wants to change, because those set sort of the terms of what judges can do. They have a lot less leniency because they're governed by specific rules. But we do have something. And that's what a lot of people been talking about, the reform, the justice reform, reform on why the president is letting people out of federal prison for... Mandatory, 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 uh, mandatory laws that can send people to prison for weed or or minor drug charges. But when it comes to uh, when it when it happened to white people and they burn some brush, oh, now you understand that the laws that are out there are messed up. But the judge got to give it to you because it's, it's a mandatory sentencing. But when somebody have a minor drug charge and they get 25 years mandatory for that minor drug charge or any type of drug charge you don't understand but you want to try to understand where you accidentally or so-called accidentally burn some brush on federal land now you got to deal with the mandatory laws that that the mandatory sentences that you got to face on them charges because you were found guilty so what we've been screaming about justice reform for the last few years, now you can see what we're talking about. So instead of occupying a federal building and taking that over, won't you join the fight with people like Black Lives Matter and other groups that are trying to reform, help reform these laws so that stuff like that won't happen? But when it happens to you, now you, you, you oh, I, I see what's going on. Yeah. I, I see. In this country called the rule of law, if you're not happy with what's going on at the federal level, that's wonderful. That's part of being an American. We can disagree all day long as to whether you think they're overreaching or not. But you don't go and take over in a non-peaceful way. I mean, these people are armed. They've said if they come, you know, they're planning on staying. They've put right. a call out to other people to join them. And that's not a peaceful demonstration. They're not even just picketing out front of a, you know, a courthouse. These are people who are actually taking over an area that is a federal office building. And that's not the way yeah. that we make change in the United States. I hear you. So I mean, they, they think the rule of law is rigged against them uh, in this case and that they can't win by going through the normal right. channels. Um, this is going to be an interesting standoff, and we'll see where it goes. Boy, they just try to make it seem like, like at the end, that other lady, the host of the show, she just try to make it seem like, oh, you know, you're good people. You're just doing the wrong thing. Yeah, that's crap. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that that whole breakdown of that, like they don't want to like when we're when we're, when we're protesting about black people are protesting about something, is is always is oh they shouldn't be protesting about that. They shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be doing that. Now, this dude, he getting caught up in the same laws that most poor young minorities been getting caught up for years and years. And now they, now they, that's their reason for protesting. Man, that's that's crap, man. I got this article that I found. Uh, it's, 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 it's called, Here's How the Nation Responded When a Black Militia Group Occupied a Government Building. It's written by... Nick Wing is from the Huffington. He's a senior viral 
editor of the Huffington Post. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple couple things off of it because it's, re- it's very long and I don't want to bore y'all with it. Let's see. Uh, if you're not familiar with the history of protests in the United States, you might not know that that the armed occupation of government buildings hasn't always been just for white guys. In fact, on May 2nd, 1967, a group of 30 Black Panthers walked into the California State Capitol building toting rifles and shotguns and quickly guarding national headlines. Just to be clear, there are a world of differences between the Black Panthers demonstration and what's happening happening in Oregon now. Although it is noteworthy that you have to go back to 1967 to find an example of something even remotely Angolius. The two groups employed different tactics, fought for different causes, and predictably elicited different reactions in vastly different places and time. But the 1967 incident served as one example of the ways American Americans tend to respond to black protests, which some say is always likely to be vastly different from the way Americans react when it's white pro- people doing the protesting. In October 1966, Human P. Newton and Bobby Seale formed the Black Panthers Party for Self-Defense as a small community organization based in Oakland, California. Americans should exercise their constitutional right to defend themselves against an oppressive U.S. government. At, at the time, California lawmakers were trying to strip them of that right, and the Black Panthers wanted to tell the U.S. and the world that they found this unacceptable. Among other things, the Black Panthers' agenda involved taking up arms and patrolling their communities to protect against rampant racism and policing. And that's what they did in the first few months of the party's assistance, carrying guns openly in compliance with California law, driving around the neighborhood, observing arrests and other law enforcement activity, effectively, effectively policing the police. Newton has even known for packing a law book alongside his rifle that he recited from when informing an officer that a civilian rights were being violated. The patrols weren't meant to encourage violence. The Panthers were committed to using force only if it was used against them. And at first, their mere presence, presence appeared to be working as a check on abusive policing. But the, panth- the Panthers' willful assertion of their rights, like the day Newton reportedly stood up to a cop in front of a crowd of black onlookers, was unacceptable to white authority figures who come to accept complete difference from black communities and who were happy to use fear and force to extract it. It's still like that today. Nothing's changed. Let's see, uh, Don Mufo. A GOP assemblyman who represented Oakland responded to the Black Panthers police patrols in 1967 with a bill to strip Californians of the right to openly carry firearms. To openly carry firearms. Let's see, let's get through some of this. Okay, here it is. Uh, 24 men and six women carrying rifles, shotguns, and revolvers as they walked through the doors of the state capitol building on May 2nd of, the, of that year. This was decades before September 11th or the Oklahoma City bombing, and the protests were 
after all, legally allowed to have their weapons. They entered with their guns pointed at the ceiling behind them, following a horde of journalists they called to document the protest. As the rest of the group waited nearby, six Panthers entered the assembly chamber where they found lawmakers mid-session. Some legislators reportedly saw the protesters and took cover under desks. It was the last straw. Police finally ordered the protesters to leave the premises. The group maintained they were within their rights to be in the Capitol building with their guns, but eventually they exited peacefully. Okay. Uh, outside, SEAL delivered the Black Panthers executive mandate before a, cru a crush of reporters. This section of remarks reprinted in Hughes Pearson, The Shadow of the Panthers, still resonates today. I'm not going to read that. Uh, if you want to read that, you can read it in Hughes Pearson, The Shadow of the Panther. Shortly after Seal, finished, Seal finishes police, uh, shortly after Seal finished, police arrested the group on felony charges of conspiracy to disrupt their legislative session. Seal accused them of manufacturing and trumped their charges, but the protesters would later plead guilty to lesser misdemeanors. Hopefully passed with the support of the National Rifle Association, which apparently believe that the whole good guy with the gun thing didn't apply to black people. California Governor Ronald Reagan, who will later campaign for president as a steadfast defender of the Second Amendment, signed the bill into law. So the bill got signed into law. Although the May 2nd demonstration failed to sway lawmakers to, into voting against the Milford Act and may have been convinced some of them that such a, a a measure was necessary. It did succeed in making the Black Panthers front page news. Headlines ran above evacu uh, ev ev evocative photos of armed black protesters, many wearing berets, bummer jackets, and dark sunglasses walking the halls of California Capitol. And the American public response to that imaginary reflect that nation deeply divided on the issue of race. The party even attracted a number of radical leading white supporters, many of whom were moved by the Black Panthers' less remembered efforts like free breakfast for children in black neighborhoods, drug and alcohol abuse awareness courses, community health and consumer classes, and a variety of other programs focused on the health and wellness of the communities. Let's see. In August 1967, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover took steps to ensure that public support for the Black Panthers Will remain marginal in a, 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 a memorial. A, a memorial. Uh, sorry, just months after the armed protest, he deemed the group a black nationalist hate type organization to be neutralized by Cotelpro, uh, a controversial initiative that notoriously skirted the law in the attempts to subvert any movement that Hoover saw as a potential source of civil disorder. Yeah, and I I know I know a lot about that right there, and I think in a, in a, in a later episode, I mean a different episode, I'm gonna get into that. Cause yeah, I ain't gonna yeah. A, a 2012 report further uncovered the extent of the agency activity, revealing that an FBI informant had actually provided the Black Panthers with weapons and training as early as 1967. Yeah, like I said, I'm like in later in later uh, 
episode. I'm going to get into uh, coin. I, I, I guess you would say CoinTelPro. It, it's, it's, um, it's, it, it, it's, it's, what is it? It's an acronym. It's an acronym for something. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get in that because I, I, I've been reading on that a lot lately for some reason. I don't know why, but let me get back to this. As the Panthers profile grew in the months and years following the California Capitol protest, so did their trouble, something that many of the Panthers themselves regarded as no coincidence. Just two months after Hoover put the Black Panthers in his sights, Newton was arrested and convicted of killing Oakland police officer John Frey, a hotly contested development and the first in a series of major nationwide controversies that engulfed the movement. Mm, trying to skip through it. Um, okay, let me, many white Americans couldn't get over the first impression of the Black Panthers. Coverage of the 1967 protests introduced them to the party and the fear of black people exercising their rights is an empowered, intimidating fashion left its mark. To them, the Black Panthers were little more than a group of thugs unified behind militaristic trappings and a leftist political ideology. And to be fair, some members of the party were criminals, not just in the minds of fried and white people. The Black Panther protest in 1967 is not the black version of what's happening in Oregon right now. Those demonstrators entered the state capital lawfully, lodged their complaints against a piece of racially motivated legislation and then left without incident. But for those who see racial double standards at, at play in Oregon, the scope and severity of the 1967 response, the way the Panthers demonstration brought about panic headlines and prolonged FBI sabotage effort and support for gun control from the NRA of all groups will, will serve as a confirmation that race shapes the way this country reacts to protests. Like I said, if you want to read the article, it's uh, from Nick Ween, senior viral editor of the Huffington Post. It's, it's a pretty long article. I just I just skimmed through it real quick, hitting some real quick points on it. And I, I had another article on this Oregon standoff that I had wanted to get to, but I'm not going to read it because it's it basically so redundant and so predictable that it's not even worth bringing up a reading to y'all. It, it was um, about the Republican presidential um, candidates and what they had to say about the Oregon standoff, it says Republican presidential hopefuls tread lightly on Oregon militia news. And you, you kind of knew that was going to happen or what they're going to say. Basically, they all said, well, you know, you shouldn't be breaking a law, but they they got reason. They're justified for doing it. Basically, that's what they were saying. Um... You know, like like Ben Carson said, yeah, you shouldn't be um, you you should you should you shouldn't be um occupying the um the land. But he said the fact of the matter is there are legitimate grievances. Well, I mean that's just a small step, but that's that's how all of basically that's how all of the um, Republican Republican candidates felt. So I'm not gonna get into that because, like I said, it's predictable. Then my last, I'm I'm gonna end I'm gonna end um this Oregon standoff with this. 
I, I found this. I don't forgot where I found it. It's by, it's written by somebody named Tom McKay. It's um this comment sums up the double standard used to excuse white violence. And it's a picture of um uh, a guy with an NRA. Uh, uh, I guess he's supposed to be an NRA. He got like a bulletproof vest on, and it got like a a, a check mark of two boxes. It's one box say real gun and one box say white, and then they got another uh got a, a well a little boy next to him, and it says it has two check boxes toy gun and black, and both of the boxes are all the boxes are checked off, but under the under the boy it says thug, and under the um the um, white dude it says patriot. On Saturday night, a group of armed I'm tired of reading about that. Their ranks include Armin Bunny and. Everything's on a Saturday night and how they took over the ranch. Sorry about that. Um uh, man, I paid taxes and everything. No. They earned only a tepid response from authorities so far, and the bunny's previous armed rallies earned widespread support, leading some to conclude the mostly white militants are benefiting a racial and political double standard. Just last week, a Cleveland police officer who shot and killed twelve year old Tamir Rice, a young black boy holding a toy toy gun was let off without an indictment, despite opening fire within seconds of, of arriving at Rice's location. Cartoonist Carlos Latouf explored why heavily armed white men committing crimes might get treated with kid gloves while police can shoot black kids and black kids, Rice, oh, black kids like Rice with few consequences in a, in a clever cartoon that's an art description of the current situation. Hint, it does have something to do with political power and race. Unlike Rice, who was ultimately proven to have posted little threat to anyone, the men who had taken over the federal refugee in Oregon claimed to be deadly serious about their willingness to use force. In a Facebook video, a spokesman for the men who took over the refugee said this will become a base place for patriots from all over the country to come and be housed here and live here. And we're planning on staying here for several years. We're at the point of the spirit that's going to bring confidence and strength of the rest of the people and we're calling people to come out here and stand we need you to bring your arms and we need you to come with come to the Mahar National Wildlife Refugee yeah and that right there they said they, I mean these people said they want they, they are not leaving yeah but the picture like I said it's a picture of a young black little boy and an older white man and it's two check, it's four check boxes in all. It's two on top of the um little black boy, and there's two on top of the white boy, and they both are checked off. One says real gun and white, and then it's checked, they checked off. It says patriot, and the other one says toy gun and black, and this checked off and it says thug. So, you know, that's how they see it. I mean, I just, I just, you just heard the uh the Fox News commentary on it. You know, they uh, basically they felt like, hey, these guys are patriots. They got a real beef. You know, they're doing what's right, and and they felt like the people in Ferguson were uh, heathens, basically thugs or whatever you want to call them. You know, yeah. So we can. Uh, we could get off this organ thing, but we could kind of stick to what we just talked about. And it was Tamir Rice. Um, 
Cleveland school officer to Tamir Rice's mom. Raise your kids not to play with fake guns, stupid bitch. Yeah, he said that. He said it. Uh, he he. I, I guess they found a meme on his Facebook page, and it has somebody holding up two guns, and it says, "Quit." Which one is a BB gun? Oops, too late. You're dead. And you point this. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this picture, and obviously you could pick out the BB gun pretty fast. I mean, it it, it is black and like a black Glock, but. You know, it got a small hole on it, man. Don't be, I mean, he's silly, man. He, he's silly. And he need to be fired for what he said. A Cleveland school police officer has been placed on paid. Pay, I mean, paid, man. These people stay being placed on paid administrative leave. Damn, man. After a local news station started asking about a Facebook post calling the mother of Tamir Rice a stupid bitch. Rice, a 12-year-old Cleveland boy, was shot and killed last year while playing with a toy gun by police officer Timothy Lowman. Prosecutors last week declined to file charges against him. Two days after the decision was announced, Cleveland Metropolitan School District Officer Matt Cicero posted the comments to his Facebook page, according to the NewsNet 5. Cicero patrolled the school district Rice attended. The page has since been deleted, but NewsNet took screenshots of the comments. Yeah. He he de he deleted the page, but he couldn't get to it fast enough. And now, I mean, now he don't got no 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 choice but to stand up to what he said and and, and hold up his convictions. But if it was up to, if it was if he really had a choice, he would hope that nobody seen that. I, I think a lot of people be doing this when they be drunk. Or they be just straight talking shit in that talking shit mode. I, how could you even do something like this? Tamir Rice's mama just want just want money. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and by the way, how in the hell is he a police officer? And y'all gotta go and find this article or find this what he said and read it yourself because the dude act like he ain't making out the fucking eighth grade. I mean, he, he he got so many spelling errors in it, and what he's saying don't even make sense. I'm not the I'm not a, uh, nowhere near a great speaker, but I know if I'm gonna put somebody and call somebody stupid, then I'm gonna make sure that I'm a spell check. I'm gonna use what uh, I'm gonna make sure I use proper grammar, and I'm I'm just gonna do my best. To seem like I have a little, a little bit of smarts. Tamir Rice's mama just want money. Let's make the proper changes. Raise your kids not to play with fake guns, stupid bitch. All this media because the because the are not getting what they want. Yeah, that's what he said. I mean, I'm not messing up or anything like this. That's what he wrote. All this media because the are not getting what they want. Again, please, anyone who does not like what I post, unfriend, unfriendly me, unfriendly me, or block me, you're not worth my time. Cicero responded to a Facebook, Facebook friend who said the child didn't deserve to die for simply playing with a toy by saying you pull out a gun, you get shot. I don't have time to ask questions and coddle kids that way guns around.
Chris, tonight we have learned Officer Matt Cicero is on paid administrative leave while CMSD investigates the shocking statements he made about who is to blame for Tamir Rice's death. We found this meme on Matt Cicero's Facebook page, the Cleveland School Resource Officer, whose job is to patrol the city's campuses to protect kids, posted it. You got to fight back! Just two days after a grand jury announced the police officers involved in Tamir Rice's death would not face criminal charges. It's not over! It was a follow-up to this earlier post. Cicero wrote, Tamir Rice's mama just want money. Raise your kids not to play with fake guns, stupid epithet. When a Facebook friend replied by saying Tamir didn't deserve to die, Cicero posted this, You pull out a gun, you get shot. I don't have time to ask questions and coddle kids that wave guns around. We wanted to show you the statements Matt Cicero made. Can we just show those to you real quick? Could you just look at the statements he made? Are they appropriate? We tried to ask CMSD's Chief of Safety and Security, Lester Fultz, about the comments. We just want to know when you're... Um, the guy that she's chasing around and asking to guess the guy that's head, ahead of that is a black guy. And I understand how, like, like how, I mean, I don't understand, I, I don't expect that if you got some type of power and you're in, and you're in charge, you're a black guy, that you should jump on the, a black person's side. But how you not sensitive to that? And how you don't be like, you know what, this is unacceptable, we can't take this. You know, th this guy, I mean, it should at least lean you a little towards our way. But I guess, I guess, uh, I guess you had to get that, get that power somehow. You had to do something. Your position, whether you're okay. Or be some type of way to get where he is. Okay with what he said on his Facebook page. About an hour later, CEO Eric Gordon sent us a statement calling the comments insensitive, considering that Officer Cicero works for the school district that served Tamir Rice and his family. So I think he should be fired. We also showed the post to Cleveland Council Member Jeff Johnson. It is disrespectful to women. It's disrespectful to African Americans. He says it shows the problems between Cleveland law enforcement officers and the people they serve are far from over. The fact that he's so insensitive and he's placing the blame of Tamir's death on Tamir, for me that's enough for him not to be working with children in the Cleveland school system. Just a couple of hours after we started asking questions, Matt Cicero's page was deleted from Facebook. I just spoke with Matt. He had no comment on the Facebook posts or the investigation. On your side, I'm investigator Sarah Buddison, News Channel 5. Yeah, so this was going to end up happening. I mean, he should get fired. And he, the dude is right. I mean, he worked, he, he's a police officer. And he works around kids. He's a, re a resource officer. And how can you even trust somebody like that around your kid? You know. It, but this is this was gonna happen. He gonna he gonna have to either he gonna get fired, and then some. All these people they're gonna um have a GoFundMe for him, and he's gonna make enough money so that. That he don't really have to work no more, or they just gonna move him to another place, move move him to another, uh, make him make him do something different. That's what they gonna do. But either way, he's not. I mean, basically, he's not gonna get punished for this.
Because like I said, if he get fired, then people going to be all outraged. Oh, he can say what he want to say, freedom of speech. Hey, go fund me $600,000. The man made more money because he said some bullshit than he ever made in his life. You know? That, that, that type of stuff irks me, man. Because these people around here... These are the people that you depend on to protect you, and you got to trust these people. And it's that disconnect right there that is why we don't trust the police. It's why when authorities like that or when it comes to us wanting to help out in with the police or deal with things a certain way, we don't deal with them. And we walk away or we tend to run away or we tend not to trust them. Because they say stuff like that. They shoot us in the back. They hurt us. And they've been doing this for years. I mean, he called that man's mom a stupid bitch. Tried to blame the death on him. And guess what? If the police would have killed him unjustly, then the man mom wouldn't be going for any type of money. If she is, I haven't heard nothing about that, but I'm pretty sure she is, and she needed to get every dime she can from the ass. But you know that 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 this is this is I mean it's not surprising. I mean, you could just click on click on the internet one day, just look at somebody saying something like this. You know, like every day, somebody is going to do something stupid and say something stupid like this. Just like this guy right here, Paul LePage. He's the mayor. He's the um, the um, governor of Maine. Paul LePage insists his drug remarks weren't racist because Maine is essentially all white. All right, so I'm gonna let you hear this hear this right here first before I read this article you know well man I just get man y'all don't know how often I hear from people around me from people that I talk to from anywhere from random people to co-workers that Oh, all this racist stuff, it's just an over-exaggeration. It doesn't exist. But people steady be saying stuff like this. Steady, steady saying stuff like this. Number one, we have a bill on one of the biggest issues right now. There are two issues. Two issues. 75% of the drug abuse in the state of Maine comes from prescription drugs. 25% started from illicit drugs. We are now in a point where over 50% of the drug problem is illicit drugs. Because it's cheaper to go on to heroin than it is to take Oxycontin. And so what the, some of the things that we have done, number one, I got a bill into the legislature right now to take the traffickers. Now the traffickers, these are people that take drugs. These are guys that are named D-Money, Smoothie, Shifty, uh, these type of guys that come from Connecticut, New York. They come up here, they sell their heroin, then they go back home. Incidentally, half the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave. 
which is a real sad thing because then we have another issue that we've got to deal with down the road. We're going to make them very severe felonies. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he said that. That that really just came out of his mouth. What up, D-Money? <laughs> Shifty, smoothie. <laughs> Man, boy, we around here going to get some white girls pregnant, dog. Yeah, man. Y'all better hide your white women because, boy, D-Money about to get them all pregnant, boy. Y'all better watch out for Shifty, too, boy. He be coming in on the slide like a motherfucker, man. Whoa, boy, like. You know, man, Smoothie, man, he be driving all the way to Maine to get him a white bitch, boy. And he go, yeah, he gonna get him one of those, get him pregnant, drive all the way to Maine, cause you know ain't no white people up in Connecticut and New York. Man, this man wilder, man. Like, like, this how they really feel. This is how they really feel, man. They feel that we all thugs, and we all out there to get they white woman, and we want they white woman. We want to make babies with they white woman. These are guys of the name D Money, Smoothie, Shifty, uh, these type of guys that come from Connecticut, New York. They come up here, they sell their heroin, then they go back home. Incidentally, half the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave. Which is a real sad thing because then we have another issue. How did nobody even put that man in check just then? It must really not be no uh, black people in Maine because there probably no black person in that room. Whoa. Mm. Maine Governor Paul LePage held a press conference Friday to stop some of the damage from his recent comments about heroin dealers. Insisting he was not being racist when he said that men with names like D Money come to the state and impregnate a young white white girl before they leave. So what he if he wasn't being racist, what he was being? And I apologize again, LePage told reporters, saying he slipped up. My brain was slower than my mouth during a town hall meeting Wednesday. LePage told constituents that Maine needs to beef up enforcement in order to address the state's heroin crisis. He said there were traffickers coming from the Connecticut and New York with names like D-Money, Smoothie, Shifty, who come up here to sell their heroin and they go back home. Incidentally, half of the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave, which is a real sad thing because then we have another issue that we have to go and deal with down the road, he added. So, um, the, the young white girl, they don't got nothing to do with getting impregnated. Or getting pregnant. It's it just all, you can go blame that all on D, D money, smoothie, and shifty. No, I guess D money, smoothie, and shifty got that tight ass game, boy. They be coming at them real hard. And they just can't, they just can't keep them legs closed. They just can't keep them legs closed, boy. You know, they can't, they, you, gotta, you can't blame it on, the, uh, blame it on that white girl. Ain't no way she'll have a um, baby from that from D Money Smoothie and Shifty. Ain't no way. No way, boys. You gotta blame it on that heroin. And, 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 and them drug dealers coming from New York and Connecticut. She ain't got nothing to do with it. Nothing.
man, full of shit, man. How 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 do I, I don't understand how people and the, the reporters even not don't don't just like just bring it up to hey, hey what you mean? Uh, D money smoothie and shit to get a white girl pregnant in Connecticut. What what's that all about? Nobody will say nothing about that. And they 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 just go back to the office and write about it because they don't want to be the ones that bring out bring it up in his face. That's what I'm seeing in that um in that video I just watched. Nah, man, of course that shit it, that's racist, man. First of all, it's racist because he think that. I mean, all the drug dealers, all I mean, you could, I mean, you know what he's insinuating, at, and he first he think that black people names, like all the drug dealers names, all our names are, or whoever he's talking about, quote unquote, talking about name D Money, Smoothie, and it was Smoothie and Shifty. That's some, that, you know, that's some, that's that's what white people think our names is when our names ain't that Smoothie and Shifty. Not D money, man. I know a couple of D money's, man. I ain't gonna lie about that one right there. Smoothie and shifty. Well, um, here come his half-ass apology. That is, is this is so half-ass. The apology, man. Come on, dude. You couldn't do better than this right here. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rocky, but one of the movies of Rocky, he makes a. Uh, he has a quote in there, and I'll just sort of paraphrase it. You don't like me, and I don't like you. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, I sincerely mean that on this basis. I spent an hour and 15 minutes talking to the people in Bridgeton the other night about some of the problems in Maine. And that, that, that Rocky quote that he was using... He was trying to basically blame the media for what happened. That's what he was doing right there. If y'all, I don't know if y'all got that or not. The whole time, many of you were there. That whole time, I made one slip up. I made one word a slip up. I might have made many slip ups. Uh, I was going impromptu. You know, it's like, it, it, he, he said that, oh, I made one slip up. But you know, it's, it's like roaches. They always tell you that if you see, if you see one roach running across your floor, then you got about a thousand roaches in the wall. That's the same. That's the same thing with this right here. If you make one slip up out in public, it's like all the stuff that you that you be saying in in, in closed doors. So when you make that one slip up, it, it, it ain't like you ain't been practicing that one slip up. You've been saying that jump before, so it's not that one slip up. in my brain didn't catch up to my mouth I instead of saying Maine women I said white women if you go and no he meant white woman you know how white men feel about their white woman we gotta protect our white women from them thugs and I'm not gonna apologize to the Maine women for that. Because if you go to Maine, you will see that we're essentially 95% white. But this is what the point is. Now that you're here though, because I could probably couldn't get as many of you in here without saying something foolish. So now that I have you here, 
I want to say, say this to you. Get your heads out of the sand, please. Help us. Help us. My passion and my desire is to rid ourselves of domestic violence and to get drug dealers off the street. You know... Yeah, get drug dealers off, drug dealers off the street so they, they can stop getting y'all white women pregnant. That's all you worry about. The white women getting pregnant by D-Money, Smoothie, and Shifty. He's a racist. There ain't no if and buzz about it. He's the racist that we be talking about when you know what they be doing at the dinner table. Calling us niggas and shit. Monkeys, Porsche monkeys. You know. Calling Muslims sand niggas and all that other bullshit like that. Man, uh, people love making our black women feel shitty. Um, Thandie Newton put Starbucks on blast for offensive store display. Well, if y'all don't know Thandie Newton, um, she's an actress. She plays on, let me see, Mission Impossible and two of my favorite movies, Norbit and Chronicles of Riddick. It's the, you hear that? It's the sound of someone in Starbucks marketing department about to get fired. The coffee giant is profusely apologizing after actress Dandy Newton drew attention to questionable store display on Twitter earlier this week. The actress posted a photo of a statue at the counter of a central London Starbucks that was being used to display Colombian coffee beans. Now, um, this picture is of a a, a, a black boy with some beans like a big old bucket of beans and a hat on with no shirt and a little skirt or I don't know what you call that little basically like a little towel wrapped around him seriously at Starbucks at the corner I mean at the counter loincloth and safari hat on a black child happy New Year, circa 19th century, the actress tweeted. The company soon issued an apology to the actress for its embryon, I mean, eyebrow-raising choice of decor. Unsurprisingly, the photo is drawing some ire from other Twitter users. Starbucks just can't seem to stay out of headlines lately. In November, the chain was was, decreed as waging a war on Christmas when it issued its annual holiday cups in a decidedly non-festive playing red design leading presidential candidate Donald Trump to consider consider a boycott. Then in December, the company was put on blast by Moko Fuku head honcho David Chang after they began carrying bagel balls. Baked goods strongly resembling the product that had been produced by Moko Momo Fuku sibling milk bar for several years. There was also a brief and ridiculous hubbub over some polar bear cookies, though that was quickly put to rest when it was revealed the cookies had been discontinued earlier this year. Right, okay. It just, yeah, it, the, the pit, yeah. 
Can't put that up, Starbucks. Y'all gotta know better than that, man. Look like some fucking shit out of the Jungle Book or something. And sticking with the theme that people love to try to make black women feel shitty. I'm going to uh, read y'all this article that I found on the internet. It's, um, let me see who it's from. It's off of um, Vibe. Shaniqua Golding. She wrote it. And I don't know if she wrote it or she wrote it. Okay, she wrote it, but it was about somebody else. It's called Petty is Petty. Petty is as Petty does. This woman's reaction to corporate racism is perfect. And I thought it was pretty good. We're not even in full week into the new year. And Torche has already given the internet its first epic Twitter story. In a series of tweets that have since gone viral, Shea recalls how she humorless combated racism when a white male colleague refused to properly pronounce her name. Yeah, that, that happened so much. It happens so much. I don't, I, and they do it to be assholes. You know, you know they do it to be assholes. Cause they come out as assholes when they do it. Okay, uh, whatever, whatever I won't even try. All of those names sounds the same anyway. Emboldened by her co-workers' blatant ignorance, she took matters into her own hands. Okay, here are my tweets. Did I ever tell you guys the story of how I fucked with my white co-worker out of spite? No, let's go. So I had just got promoted and had moved to sit with my new supervisor and team. I was a little nervous because this area was white as fuck. So I had just got promoted. Okay, my bad. I choose a seat next to the only black girl on my team. Little did I know that on the other side of me sat the mayonnaise monster. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. She's about to get on it, boy. He comes to his seat and introduces himself as Evan. Ask my name, mind you. My new desk ha has my name on it. He looks at the name and says, what the fuck does this say? I brace myself for the fuckery. It is my full name and not my nickname, so I gave him a break and I sounded out for him as simple as like love tore uh and he, he she got it like spelled out like long way, so like like she was being like not sarcastic but he was he was trying to, you know. I'm I'm I, I it, it don't say what her name, her real name is on here, but like it, it's spelling like she spelled it out how she was pronouncing the name, and obviously it's her her her, her nickname is Tora, so obviously it's it's La Tora, but she was pronouncing it La Tora. It is my full name and not my okay, my bad. Um, he gets annoyed and tosses my name plat back on my desk. He fake confusion and says Laquisha. <laughs> not today, white said, and not today. I look him dead in the eye and sound it out again for his clearly dumb ass. Love, tour, uh. 
He scoffed and said to my black ass face, whatever, I won't even try. All those names sound the same anyway. I struggle to hold my composure, smile and gently, oh, what kind of names? He shrugs and says, you know, the hood black girl name. They all sound the same, so I refuse to try. I'm like two seconds from losing my cool and my fancy new position. I inhale and say, yeah, I completely get it, Todd, and smile as innocently as, po as possible. If you remember, his name is Evan. He knows that I know that. He knows that I know that. I spend the next six months referred to him as the whitest white boy names I could think of. I mean to his face, to uh, to other co-workers and emails everywhere. Hi, Jake. Billy asked me to get this to you. CC Josh. It gets to the point where other people start doing it as well. Not only is it hilarious, but he clearly is mad about it. Finally, he, he comes to my desk and asks to speak to me. He pronounces my name right this time. I say, sure, Sam. What can I do for you? He sighs and says, I get it, okay, I'm sorry, just please stop. Finally, I look at him and say, you know what, Steve, I'll give it a try. I can't promise anything. White names don't come naturally to me. The end. Moral of the story is, petty is as petty does. That is so true. That is so true. Petty is as petty does. I love that right there. I remember when I first seen that, I tripped. <laughs> I'm, I'm on my phone reading it. I just tripped out. Straight just tripped out. Man. All right, I'm going to leave y'all with that right there. In the show with that one right there. My email is place your name here, podcast at gmail.com. And my Twitter is at DryPeanut. D-R-I-V-E-P-N-U-T. So if you got a comment, you can send it to my emails or you can send me something on Twitter. It don't matter. I'll catch it anyway. Um, see, my... You can find the show on the Stitcher app. On iTunes. Or you can download it from Podbean. They also got a Podbean app that you can download. So you could do it that way. Like it's many different ways. I'm trying to get my show on different other other I mean other platforms. Take it take your time. It's a one man show. I'm trying to do my thing. I'm a very busy man. I work for a living, so please excuse me for like if I'm taking a long time to put a show out but like this Christmas and, and, and the holidays I was very busy I was putting in a lot of hours to pay for a lot of bills that I had to take care of so like I said you can send your uh, emails to place your name here podcast at gmail.com tweet me at dry peanut and catch the show on Stitcher Podbean and iTunes all y'all have a lovely evening I'm out.